You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. So good to see you this morning. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Sam, and this is my friend Chantal. We're going to start the message portion of our service with the reading of Scripture, and Chantal is going to read it for us. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there yourself. There's also Bibles in the pews in front of you. I believe it's page 1139. 1139 in the, the Bibles in front of you. Or if you want, you can also turn your attention to the screen and it'll be right there. That's the easiest probably, huh? Would you stand with us as we read scripture together this morning? 1 Corinthians. Thank you, Sam. So that's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And then Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and then to the 12 after that he appeared and to more than he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and at the same time most of whom are still most of whom are still living though they, some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born this is the word of the lord amen amen, amen. awesome thanks Chantel. you can take a seat What happened on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago? Because no matter who you are or what you believe, whether you're a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or, or anything in between, it's really hard to deny that something significant happened that changed the course of human history forever. I mean, even our calendars are marked by it. Every time you write the year 2022, you're counting 2,022 years from the time that a guy named Jesus walked on the earth. And most people would agree that this Jesus of Nazareth was a good teacher, that he had some groundbreaking ideas about love and justice and the kingdom. In the first century, thousands of people gathered to hear him preach, to just be around him, to learn from him. But Jesus also had some audacious claims about who he was, that he didn't come to show the way he claimed to be the way. That he didn't come to show people how to live. He came to be life. In fact, he also said that he didn't come to point people to God. He said that he himself was God. And it was ultimately that claim that got him put to death on the cross. See, there were other great teachers in the first century. There were other guys who also claimed to be the Messiah, the sent one of God. And some of them gained some real traction and quite a following and lots of excitement as they promised this utopian future free of the tyranny of Rome and Caesar. But once these Messiah figures died off, it wasn't very many years before no one really even knew their names. But there was something different about this Jesus. Something happened that caused those who on Friday said crucify him to turn around on Sunday and worship him as God and King. Not only that, but 2,000 years ago, there's over 2.4 billion of us around the world 
who still worship and serve and follow the same Jesus. So what is it? What happened? Why are we all gathered here together to celebrate today? Well, Christians believe that what happened on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago is that Jesus rose from the dead. That on the Friday he was beaten and bruised, that he was hung up on a cross, that he died and was buried in a tomb guarded by Roman soldiers. But three days later he defied everything that was thought possible as he rose from the grave, physically rose from the dead, conquering Satan, sin, and death once and for all. And maybe you're here this morning and and you say, you know, well, that's good that that's so meaningful for you, that you find such awe and wonder in the story, but but I don't believe it's true. And that's fair. Whether you believe it's true or not, you're so welcome here. We're so glad that you would trust us with your Easter Sunday morning and come out here and join us. And I'm not here to force you into believing something you don't want to believe or to drum up some emotional moment to try to convince you into something. But but I will acknowledge that while it takes faith to believe in the resurrection, it also takes faith not to believe in the resurrection. See, I think a lot of people assume that, that the biblical story of the resurrection is just some easily dismissed fairy tale, like a conspiracy theory that can be easily debunked if you just look a little closer at the evidence, a little closer at the facts. But the closer you look into the resurrection, I think the more you'll realize that that's not actually the case. There's an intellectual named Albert Henry Ross who wrote a book in the 1930s called Who Moved the Stone? Where he who was this this outspoken atheist, he set out to disprove the resurrection once and for all. Like someone's got to put this hoax to bed. But as he studied, he found that the evidence of the, the resurrection was so compelling That through the process of writing this book, he ended up converting to faith in Jesus and writing a very different book than he originally intended. For Albert Henry Ross and for countless other people throughout the ages, the resurrection of Jesus, the reality that Jesus rose from the dead has changed everything. It's an absolute game changer. Why? Well, if Jesus truly raised from the dead, the implications are staggering. For starters, it elevates our own stories, the stories of our everyday life. It elevates it to this much larger story, a story that God is writing in the world. And here's the thing. When we see our story in light of God's grander story, it brings so much purpose. We start to see everything differently. Look what Paul said in the text that Chantal read for us. Look what he says the good news of the world is. He says that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Why does he say according to Scripture? Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Well, well first, Paul is, is referencing, when he says Scripture here, he's referring to what we as Christians call the Old Testament. It's this library of different ancient texts that record God's interaction with a specific group of people called the people of Israel. And Paul's saying that Jesus fulfills the whole story of the Old Testament. Easter marks the climax of the story. It culminates in the person and the coming and the resurrection of Jesus. Have you ever seen one of those movies where what happens in the final scene of the movie changes the whole thing? It makes you kind of feel like you have to go back and rethink all the different scenes that happen throughout the movie, where what happens in that final scene changes actually what was said in the first scene, if you think about it this way or that way. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does to the story of God. It makes sense of the whole thing. See, if we go all the way back to the beginning, it starts with God creating the world. Everything we see and everything we don't see. And he declares that it is good. 
He makes the sun, moon, and stars. He makes the, the animals and the fish, the water and sky. And the pinnacle of his creation is humankind. He makes us in his image. He puts his very breath. Puts his breath in our lungs. But rather than trusting in God's provision and his goodness, as humanity, we decided to take things into our own hands. We wanted to ourselves be the ultimate reference between good and evil, right and wrong. We, we wanted to essentially be God. But humans make lousy gods. And so very quickly we became alienated from, alienated from each other and alienated from God himself. But despite the rebellion and the sin, God never gave up on his creation. And where the first humans failed, he laid out this promise to repair what was ruptured. He gave a promise to a man named Abraham and to Israel. And he said that these would be his people and that he would be their God. That he was going to use this nation to be a blessing to the whole world. But what we find in the Old Testament is that the people of God, that this great nation, rather than being affected by the surrounding nations, telling them about who God was and how great he was and, and, and all that sort of stuff, rather than that, they, they become infected by the nations, by the practices of evil and compromise. And so they turn their backs on the promise that God had given them. Instead of being a light to the nations, they became just like everyone and so things go from bad to worse as people continue to elevate themselves as gods and goddesses. And it leads to chaos and confusion and heartbreak and exile. By the turn of the, the first century, the people are living under the oppression of the Roman government. They're, being, they're crying out to God for a rescuer, for a redeemer to be sent, for a redeemer to come and to save them. And this is the backdrop for the coming of Jesus. See, for thousands of years, the prophets of old had been pointing to a day where God would send a redeemer, where he would send a Messiah, they called it, a chosen one from God who would, who would come and who would save the people from the horrible mess they'd made of the world. They imagined that he would come on chariots of fire, taking down Rome and bringing Caesar to his knees, but nothing could be further from the way he did it. In Jesus, God came and he accomplished what the first humans weren't able to do. He was the Israel that they couldn't be. He was the fulfillment of all the promises that God had given to Abraham all through the years that he would bring healing and redemption. And this Jesus of Nazareth, he lived in perfect relationship with God and with creation. He came as a suffering servant in humility. He would bring freedom for the oppressed. He would set in motion this, this soon and coming kingdom, but he would do it in the most unexpected way. On the cross, Jesus took the sin of humanity, all the things that bring separation between us and a holy God, past, present, and future. He took it upon himself. He died in our place so that we could be made right with God. He conquered death by first letting death conquer him. But the good news that we're celebrating today is that he didn't stay dead. See, if we had the death of Jesus without the resurrection of Jesus, we, if we had the Friday without the Sunday, we would just have this really sad ending to this really drawn-out story, something like what Shakespeare would write, like Macbeth or, or Romeo and Juliet, ending in complete tragedy. But that's not how the story goes. Paul writes that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. He goes on. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last he appeared 
to me. One of the most common arguments that people use against the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus only appeared to those who already followed him, that that really wanted him to be raised so badly. And so they'll say that that they imagined that he raised from the dead. Or some say he he was hallucinating or that they were hallucinating or that they, they had some sort of spiritual encounter that caused them to think that Jesus had been raised from the dead. This is the kind of idea that was going on in the day that this was written in Corinth. The people were saying something like, well, well, maybe Jesus rose from the dead in a spiritual sense. But I think it's worth noting, and N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, he's done some fantastic work on this. He explains that the resurrection was, was just as foreign an idea to those original hearers, those original disciples, as it is for us today or for anyone else. See, and, and the people in the ancient world would have, would have taken for granted that sometimes people do have these kind of spiritual encounters with the dead, particularly those who had died just days prior. They knew just as much as we know about the possibility of, of visions of ghosts and dreams, and that sometimes these things happen, especially during a time of grief. They had categories for this, but it wasn't resurrection. Also, notice in the list of eyewitnesses that Paul writes here is James. James is is Jesus' brother. And earlier on in the Gospels, all four of them recount saying that that during Jesus' life and ministry, James didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was. It almost paints this picture of of James being embarrassed or ashamed of Jesus. Look at John chapter 7, verse 5. It's pretty clear. It says, even his own brothers did not believe in him. And I get it. If I stood up in front of my brother Josh or my sisters and I said that I myself was God in the flesh, they would look at me and say, um, no, you're not. <laughs> and in, in my case, they would have so many good reasons to say that because on the daily basis, I, I disqualify myself from being this sinless, spotless lamb. There'd be lots of things that they could point, point, point to. This is where Jesus and I differ. But, but, but still, I can imagine why it'd be very difficult for Jesus' own family to believe that he was in fact the son of God. Most scholars and theologians actually say James probably wasn't even there at the crucifixion of Jesus, at the cross on the Friday, because he didn't buy it. Maybe he didn't want to be associated by, with his delusional big brother Jesus. But something happened after Jesus' death that changed everything for James. The resurrection. Jesus physically appeared to him, to James, alongside 500 others that are named as eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And then the book of Acts, you know, it it talks about how James alongside Peter were were the founders, were, were were the leaders of the early church. Later, James would write a book called James as part of the New Testament. And listen to the way he introduces himself. Remember, this is Jesus' little brother. He says, I'm James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eventually, he would get killed for his his faith in Jesus. He would get martyred. The resurrection changed everything for James, and the resurrection changes everything for us. But why? Why does it change everything for us? You know, even if it's true, and this might sound crass, but why does the resurrection of a poor Jewish rabbi from the first century matter to me in my life today? Well, I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at three simple Simple but profound truths of why I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is such good news for us. The first is this, that the resurrection of Jesus means that that what Jesus said is true. 
See, we read in all four of the Gospels that Jesus told his disciples a number of different times, actually, that that he was going to be put to death and that three days later he was going to rise from the grave. For example, look at Luke chapter 9, verse 22. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And this is just one of the many instances where Jesus points to his own death and, and rising. And each time his disciples are confused. And sometimes the conversation gets quite heated because they don't like him talking about having to die. They don't understand why he has to be killed. But here's the thing. When someone, when someone predicts their own life and death and resurrection and then it happens, <laughs> you listen to what they have to say. The resurrection means that, that what Jesus said is true, that he is who he said he is, that he is the Christ, that he is king. See, if the resurrection didn't happen, I think it would be absolutely fair to call Jesus a crazy person for claiming to be one with God, for claiming that he was going to die and rise again. And some people in his hometown thought he was, that he had, he had some sort of mental illness causing him to say the things that he was saying. But, but because Jesus died and rose again, just as he said he would do, we can trust that he is who he says that he is. On top of that, Daryl Johnson, who's a Bible teacher and pastor from Vancouver, he said this, the resurrection is the creator's stamp of approval on all that Jesus taught us about how to live in the world. It's the creator's great yes to the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, the meek inherit the earth. And Jesus is exhibit A. Yes, non-retaliation is the way to peace. Yes, loving our enemies is the way to life. In other words, Jesus is actually showing us what it looks like to live out his teachings. Where it looks crazy to win over injustice with nonviolence, Jesus did it. He fulfilled the greatest rescue mission in all of eternity, defeated death itself, but he did it in humility and he did it in love. Second, the resurrection means that death has met its match. Especially in the last few years, there's been a number of people, even people in our church, who've lost loved ones and family members and husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, co-workers, even this last week, we lost a great young man in our community to a, to a sudden and tragic death. It's brutal. And it's heartbreaking. And so just like Jesus did at, at, the, at the tomb of his best friend Lazarus, when this happens, we weep. We cry because this is not the way it was meant to be. But underneath the tears, for the Christian is this great hope of the future, that this life is not all that there is. Revelations 21 gives this beautiful vision and a promise of a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more tears, where there's no more pain, where there's no more death. They've all been done away with. That those who are in Christ will live together with him in perfect peace. Because Jesus rose from the dead, death no longer has the place it once had in the universe. It no longer has the last word. Because of what Jesus has done, death only has the second to last word. For the Christian, the final word, the last word is life, eternal life with Jesus. Death has lost its sting. And that's bad news for tyrants. Because what's the worst that an evil dictator can do? Death. But the Christian says, no, because of what Jesus has done, to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. If I live, I live for Christ. And if I die, I see him face to face. Death and all of its friends have been defeated. And that leads to the final hope of the resurrection that we'll look at together today. And that's this truth, that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king and he's at work in the world. See, in an age where, where it feels like, like sometimes evil is winning, where it's become harder and harder to trust those in authority, where corruption and injustice seems to infiltrate every sphere of society, even the church sometimes, the future reign of King Jesus brings us hope. But not only his future reign, not only his future reign in the age to come, but, but also the reign of Jesus in the here and now. See, Scripture paints this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God breaking into the here and now, into our reality here on earth. The resurrection of Jesus is not just some strange kind of one-off event where, where, where this happens in this decaying world. It's not a magic trick that God does just to, to draw our attention to Jesus. No, instead, it's the symbol and starting point of the new world, the new age. The claim of the resurrection is that Jesus of Nazareth doesn't simply usher in this new religious possibility or this new ethic or this new salvation, but a new creation over which he is king. And while we still live in this sin-infected world where sin infiltrates and affects every fabric of society, we also see glimpses of this coming kingdom. We live like smack in the middle of these two realities, the age that is in the age to come. And Jesus is actively putting it back together, putting back together a world that has been broken and corrupted by sin. He's renewing and restoring all things. In the third and final book of The Lord of the Rings, there's this beautiful quote from theologian Samwise Gamgee where he's talking to Gandalf and he says, what's happening to the world? He says, everything sad going to come untrue. Is everything sad going to come untrue? I love that question. And the promise in Scripture is that, yes, everything sad is going to come untrue. Easter is this great celebration that Jesus has undone and is undoing the effects of the fall. See, sin broke everything apart, fractured every relationship, but in Jesus, God is putting it all back together again so that we can experience what we were made for, intimacy with him, relationship with him, in relationship with one another for all of eternity. See, our hope isn't in human progress or, or a lack of human progress. Our hope isn't in some utopian future that's promised by a politician or a marketer or an advance in technology. Our hope is in King Jesus who promises that he's coming back and that he's currently and will in full upon his return make all things new. And the wonder of it all is that he invites us into this story he invites us into what he's doing on the earth. He doesn't just save us and then tell us to hang tight until he returns and comes back once again in his future reign. No, he invites us to participate in his putting the world back together project as he prepares the earth for his soon and coming reign where evil will be eradicated, where sin and death will be a distant memory where there's perfect peace. So what do we do with this? How do we respond well, I know this for sure, that, that the resurrection of Jesus does not allow for indifference. It doesn't allow for us to be half in and half out. There's a, a beautiful quote from, from C.S. Lewis that I want to read. 
C.S. Lewis says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. Saying that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with one who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, the resurrection, the reality that Jesus is both God and King, it demands a response. But I guess the question today is, will you embrace this Jesus as King? Will you crown him Lord of your life? According to Scripture, responding to the gospel, to this incredibly good news, is super simple. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says it like this. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. It's that simple. And those aren't some magic words that you have to say exactly right in order to be accepted by God. No, what Paul's getting at is the posture of our heart confessing that he is Lord, he's king. In other words, it's saying, my allegiance is to King Jesus. I'm gonna follow him in his way no matter what the future looks like because I believe that his way is best, that his way is good. So I surrender my control. But maybe you're not sure. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard of this Jesus and you need some time to process. That's okay but I'd encourage you with curiosity to explore. Look into those resurrection accounts. Look at history. Examine the facts. Because if it's true, if Jesus did rise from the grave, it will change absolutely everything in your life. It's changed everything in my life. It will bring so much hope and purpose and meaning to the story of your everyday life. And if that's you, if you're wondering and considering I also want to again mention, you know, what what Alyssa and John talked about earlier, this course that's starting up called Alpha. Essentially, it's this opportunity just to sit around the table in a really non-judgmental atmosphere and environment and just explore the Christian faith. I think the greeters, as they noted, passed out um, these cards as you came in. And if you didn't grab one, uh, but you want one, they're also in the pews in front of you, and so you can grab one if you like. But there's a QR code there. You can fill out the box if you would like to participate in Alpha. Maybe you're brand new to faith. Or maybe you were a Christian and this pandemic has just taken a toll on your relationship with Jesus and you're just not sure what you believe anymore. Maybe this has been a season for you of of deconstructing your faith or what you believe. That's okay. Can I invite you to, to conversation? Whether it's Alpha or a coffee or a dinner, where you can wrestle with the big questions of life in a safe place or on a meal with people and explore with them too. There's two other things on that card. There's next step. This is about joining community. But I want to specifically draw your attention to the section at the bottom where it, where it talks about prayer requests. Uh, wherever you are in your journey of faith, it would be our honor as pastors and leaders of this church to pray for you. 
And that can be anonymous. If there's a prayer request that you want us to pray for, you can just write that in the card and, and don't put a name on it. That's totally fine. Uh, or if you want, you can, you can put your name. If you want a pastor to follow up with you, just make a note of that in the comments. Someone, someone on our team would, would, would love to follow up with you in the next week or two and, and connect and, and journey through the difficulties of life together. But, but we would love to pray with you. Every Wednesday, our pastors and staff gather together and we pray over all the needs that we know about in our church community. And so it would be a joy and honor to pray for you. Okay, let's pray as we close and move on. Well, Jesus, I acknowledge today that you are king, that you are Lord of all. And I thank you for the hope that that truth brings, that the hope we have because of your resurrection, because you rose from the grave. We celebrate that you are king and you're at work in the world. And I pray for my friends that are here today that are wondering, that are exploring. I pray that as they seek truth, that they would find it, that they would find you. I pray for those who are, are struggling in their relationship with you, who, who coming to church on Easter Sunday was a big step. I pray that you would encounter them too, that you would show them your love and mercy and grace. Help us to live in light of the resurrection. Help us to live as resurrection people that have great hope. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.